This is called believers who have died. Brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. According to the Lord's word, we tell you that we who are still alive who are left until the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Now, brothers and sisters, about times and dates, we do not need to write to you. For you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying peace and safety, destruction will come on them suddenly as labour pains on a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you, brothers and sisters, are not in darkness, so that this day shouldn't surprise you like a thief. You are all children of the light and the children of the day. We do not belong to the night or the darkness. So then, let us not be like others who are asleep, but let us be awake and sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, putting on faith and love as a breastplate, and the hope of salvation as a helmet. For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. He died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up, just as in fact you are doing. Thanks, Jan, for reading the Bible for us this morning. Please make sure you keep your Bibles open to page 1837 as we look at this next uh, part of 1 Thessalonians. And uh, please remember there will be time for questions after the talk. Well, as it was referred to earlier this morning in our beginning prayer, uh, this week has been one of the toughest, if not the toughest, for our neighbours over the Tasman. And as our world mourns the deaths of those killed in the shooting in Christchurch last Friday, not to mention the Ethiopian plane crash that happened last Sunday and that left 157 dead. And again, we're reminded of the stories of abuse uh, within the Catholic Church. You can't help but think there's something really wrong with this world. This world is really broken. What hope does our world have when things like this keep on happening? Well, we've been working through Paul's first letter to the Thessalonians these past few weeks, and it so happens that this morning, 
Our passage has a lot of important things for us to hear regarding the events of this week. And we'll be hearing in regards to the hope that we have for the future, the bigger framework for how we're to understand how things might turn out and what that means for us right now. Before we get into this section of God's Word in detail, will you please join me as I pray? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you've given us your Word and we pray that you may speak to us now. Help us to see these issues with great sensitivity and with great great clarity as well. Heavenly Father, we pray in light of Jesus' resurrection and that day when Jesus will return. We pray that you will help us to have our hope, to have our confidence in you and help us to be ready for that last day. And it's in his name that we pray these things. Amen. Uh, This morning we're going to see two things. We're going to see what it is to understand the hope of Jesus' return and secondly, living in light of that hope of Jesus' return. Uh, But let me give you first some context of what's happening with the Thessalonians at this point. Because you see, they were in a situation that was deprived of hope. They were experiencing the grief of some of those in their church family who have just died. And the death of someone who's close to you is something that we'll all find hard. And the reason we all find it so hard is because death is disruptive. Death creates a void in relationships. Now this may be something that you're wrestling with at the moment. You may have a a parent who's dying, or a grandparent who's dying, or a friend with a terminal illness. Or you might be here and death seems very, very far away. Well, wherever you are on the spectrum of the topic of death, it's helpful for us to ponder about it this morning, especially given the events of this week. And especially because, well, it's something that we will all inevitably face. Now, for the Thessalonians, they were such young Christians. uh, They were still thinking like the society around them. And they were thinking that death was the end, that, 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 that was it. But Paul wants to help them rightly understand the issue of death for the Christian and how that affects how Christians grieve. Uh, please check out what Paul says in verse 13. He says this, Brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. Now, Paul isn't telling the Thessalonians that they're not to grieve. No, no. The thing is, it's natural to grieve when you lose someone who's close to you. You wouldn't be human if you didn't. But what Paul is saying here is that for Christians, our grieving is going to be different to how the non-Christian grieves. Because when a Christian passes away, you don't grieve in despair as someone who doesn't have any hope. No, we grieve with hope. A hope that's confident. A hope that's based on something. And our hope is the confident expectation of eternal life that's made possible because of Jesus. 
And it's because of that hope. Well, the Christian has the expectation that one day, we'll see our Christian brothers and sisters who've passed away, we will see them again. And so Paul wants the Thessalonians, and he wants us to change how we see death. To understand death in light of the return of Jesus. And Paul says in verse 14, why we can do that. Please have a look at verse 14 with me. He says, For we believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. Now Paul spells out that for the Christian, death is like sleep. Because death is temporary. And just like how sleep is followed by an awakening, so too death for the Christian is followed by the awakening of the resurrection. So for the Christian, death isn't the end where we have to say our permanent goodbyes. You see, death isn't the full stop that ends the great sentence of life. But rather, death is the comma that punctuates that sentence to a more lofty uh, significance, where we will transition to an even better existence, to be part of the reunion of all reunions, where the void of grief that we're experiencing will be no more. It's like what we heard in the kids' talk this morning, that we'll experience God's gift of forever with Him and all the good things that go along with that. Now, the reason why Paul's so confident in the return of Jesus and what happens to Jesus, uh, after it happens to Christians after they die, is because of the basis of all this is Jesus' resurrection. You see, verse 14, Paul makes it really clear that because God has the power to raise up Jesus to his new resurrected life, then logically, well, God can do the same for all those who belong to Jesus. And if Paul can be so confident about this future hope because of the resurrection of Jesus, well, so can we. Now Paul moves on from the topic of death to focus more on the return of Jesus and how Christians can live in light of that and how we can be ready for it. And he actually tells us five things of how we are to be ready. And the first thing that Paul wants us to address is that getting ready for the return of Jesus doesn't mean trying to work out the date of when he returns. Because in chapter 5 verse 2, Paul says, The day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. And that's the thing about burglars. They don't let you know when they're coming. There's no announcement made, no heads-up text, but it's going to come when you least expect it. Now, no doubt you've heard some people trying to calculate when Jesus will return. And so far there's been so many different predictions down the ages, and not one of them has got it right. Uh, the latest prediction uh, was made uh, by a guy called Ronald Wieland. Uh, he's a writer and a leader of a particular church in the U.S. 
and he had the prediction that Jesus was going to come back May last year. And that was his third guess. And now that he's got that wrong, he's pushed his prediction to June this year. But 1 Thessalonians is very clear. These people are going to get it wrong because no one knows when Jesus will return. All we know is that he will. And the second thing Paul tells us of how to get ready is to understand where true peace comes from. Now in verse 3, Paul talks about the scenario where people of his time were saying peace and safety. But Paul's saying that it's actually in those times when you least expect it, when you're thinking peace and safety, well, that could be the time when Jesus may return. Now, that's the thing about our culture here in the inner west of Sydney. We long for peace and safety, whether it's in our relationships, in our work, in our city. And before the events of this week, I reckon all of us have been thinking that our part of the world down here in the southern hemisphere is one of the most peaceful and safe. But that sense of security was shaken last Friday when we heard about a group of four shooters shooting in two, mis- in two mosques in Christchurch. And that's the thing. No social institution, no government can fully guarantee peace and safety in this time when we long for peace and safety. It's important for us to remember that there's only one genuine source of peace and safety that can't be taken away. And that's through trusting in Jesus. And it's through Jesus that we can be delivered from God's wrath and destruction that's going to come when Jesus returns and also have the peace and safety of eternal life instead. Now what if you're not in Christ? What if you're not a Christian? Well, the Bible will go on to say in 1 Thessalonians, there's two categories. You're either in Christ or you're outside of Christ. And in verse 5, Paul talks about the two groups of people as people of the light and people of the night. And the Bible says that you won't have security that Jesus offers unless you change into the right category. You see, God wants to give you that security that can't be taken away. He wants to give you that hope where death isn't something that just brings despair, but instead, no, brings us something much better than what this world has to offer. So if you're here and you don't have this security that Jesus is talking about here, can I please encourage you to consider changing category this morning or begin the investigation into the possibility of category change of moving from outside of Jesus to in Jesus so that you can be someone who's got true peace who's got true security who's got true hope if you want to find out more please make sure you talk to myself or Peter M or Carmen afterwards this morning 
Now the third thing of how we can be ready is not to be surprised that Jesus will return one day because we know that he's coming back. Now it's going to be sudden. It can happen anytime. It could even happen today. It could even happen before I finish this talk. But for us, I reckon there's two mistakes that we can make regarding Jesus' return. The first is that we can get too distracted with the detail. Now these days there's many views out there of what the return of Jesus would actually look like. For example, do Christians get raptured up first, then God cleans up the world when Jesus returns, or is it the other way around? And people try to grab all the biblical references of the topic and try to slot it into order. But the danger of focusing on the details too much is that we can lose sight of the big picture that God is wanting to make clear here in 1 Thessalonians. The fact that Jesus is coming back again, that's to make a difference to how we live now. And if we get so wrapped up with so in the details, well, you end up not preparing for Jesus' return in the way that God actually wants you to. So that's the first mistake, being too distracted. But the second mistake is going on the other side of the spectrum, and you actually forget that Jesus is coming back again. Where we end up thinking, well, it won't happen in our lifetime. And we begin to think that, well, this is all there is. Anyway, so we can get so focused on the now, we can get so focused on the day to day, that we live our lives as if Jesus isn't coming back. And our lives can end up looking no different from the person who doesn't trust in Jesus. But God's word is clear. Jesus is coming back again. We don't know when. Oh, and there is a way for us to get ready for it. And that brings us to the fourth thing of how we're to get ready, which is to be awake and sober. Uh, please have a look at uh, verse 6 with me of chapter 5. He says this. So then, let us not be like others who are asleep, but let us be awake and sober. Uh, now, to be awake, uh, that means to be active as a Christian. It means uh, having your Christian life turned on. Um, it's actually functioning. That's what awake means here. And, and sober, it means to be self-controlled. It means having clear thinking. It means being alert. And to expand on this, Paul goes in verse 8. He uses the analogy of the soldier's armor to make the po- point that being sober involves... Well, putting on faith and love as a breastplate. Wearing our hope of our salvation as a helmet. Again, it's the picture of being active. Of getting ready where we keep on trusting God in everything we face. To act in faith by looking to obey Him in all things. And that include the things that we've looked at 1 Thessalonians so far. So that includes... Will continue to love others, whether they're Christian, whether they're non-Christian, even when it's not easy. It will include striving to live holy lives in how we approach sex, in how we do our work, and it will include 
having in the forefront of our minds the confident hope that we have that we're safe from God's wrath on that last day and that we'll enjoy a fantastic forever with God and we're to live lives excited that that's the case. So because Jesus is coming again, it means not being lazy being, as a Christian. It means not being complacent in how we serve him. But instead, it means making the most of the opportunity that we have now to make a difference in our world as we see, serve God with our lives. Because at the end of the day, this place, it's not our real home. And we need to keep living with our real home in mind. Back in the day when I used to work for a big four accounting firm, I did a lot of travel. And I did a lot of travel to the point I got sick of airport lounges. You know the ones. Now, they are, those lounges, they are pretty comfortable. But they're not like home. Now, it would be stupid for me to get too settled in the airport lounge, to get so caught up with the free food, to get caught up with building your own fort out of those uh, business lounges, which is what you do. You can be, get, and I could get so caught up with those things where I can be tuned out to everything else around me. That I stop paying attention to the flight announcements. That I forget that my flight is going to leave in a couple of hours. No, when I'm in the airport lounge, I'm going to be alert. I'm going to keep my eye on the information board. I'm not going to let myself drift off into a deep sleep because I don't want to miss my flight to where my real home is. We need to remember that our lives here on this earth is like the airport lounge. It's not our true home. We're in transit. And while we're in transit... Where to be alert, where to be awake and sober, and not complacent. Now, the last thing that Paul wants the Thessalonians to do in light of Jesus' return is to encourage one another, to build each other up. And notice in the verse that this is something that well, we're all to do with each other. It's, it's not just up to a few people to just do this. No, no this is everyone's job. Now, the Thessalonians were already encouraging each other, and Paul tells them to keep on doing it. And in the same way, I reckon we do a pretty good job here at Abbotsford as we look to encourage each other here on Sundays, as we look to encourage each other during the week, whether it's that growth group or meeting one-to-one. And just like the Thessalonians, we need to keep doing this, to be reminded of the big picture, and to do this all the more, especially given the events this week. And that's the thing. As we look at the trajectory of how things are going, it's not going to be long until we see something else horrible happen in our city or happen in our world. And inside each one of us, whether you're a Christian or whether you're not, we're all longing for a world that's better than this. And given what happened in the last few days, I reckon we're longing for that place even more now.
But here's the thing. No matter how many terrorist attacks happen, no matter how many more horrible crimes that happen in our world, God's word is clear. We know that this isn't always going to be the case. As people who trust in Jesus, we can be hopeful for the future. Hopeful and confident that one day, evil will be punished. That wrongs will be righted. And that God's peace on this earth will be forever. And so because of that, we don't need to fear. We don't need to despair. But rather, we need to keep trusting in the resurrected King who will take care of us. Who one day will bring his people home to his new world. A world where there's no more death or hate. And by its very nature, it's a place that's characterized by peace. A peace that's everlasting. And that's the end that we need to keep in mind as we live our lives here now. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your great love for us. That you sent the Lord Jesus to die for us. That he gave up his life unselfishly for us so that we can be saved from your wrath. That we can one day live together with you forever. And Heavenly Father, we pray that you'll help us not to be complacent, but to be awake and sober. Help us to be ready for that great day when you come back. And in light of what we've seen in this world this particular week, we plead more earnestly. Come, Lord Jesus, come, so that your world will have your everlasting peace and that this world will be made right. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.